0: Hello and welcome viewer friends, I'm Kira, and today I'll be recapping Married at First Sight UK, Season 6, Episode 15. Tonight it's time for The Homestays Part 2 and there's even a little bit of partner swapping towards the end. First off, we find Josh and Amy having breakfast in their rented house. Josh says he thought the Mexican night went well and confesses that he discussed Amy's moodiness with her mates. Instead of this leading to an argument... Amy admits that she sometimes take things, things out on those closest to her. I can be snappy, but I don't mean to, she says. So it's not because you're being malicious, it's because you care, responds Josh. I get that, because I'm like that with my brothers and sisters, he says. Wow. Forced emotional honesty by the experts notwithstanding, I think this might be the first personal thing we've learned about Josh so far. Amy says her snappiness is because of a lack of affection. When she perceives that a partner is withholding of affection, she says it makes her lash out in defence. I just want to be loved, she finishes sadly. It seems like this couple have actually learned something in their time together. Like, there's no way they'll end up together as a couple in the real world. Their differences are too profound. But it seems like they're both seeing the benefits of articulating one's emotions honestly. Josh tells the camera that Amy's erratic changes of mood leave a bad taste in his mouth. However, This footage looks like it's from the day before when a stressed Amy was angrily preparing the Mexican fiesta. This Josh from the past says that if the behaviour continues, he's not going to stick around. It's time for Luke to meet Morag's gang, so they head to Romford in Essex. I knew it. Morag gives off very strong, towy, aspirational kind of vibes. Poor Luke is thrown right in the deep end as the cab pulls up to the pub instead of a house. Luke tells the camera that it's crunch time. He has said this so many times, like their relationship has had more crunch time than a bowl If I can't fit in here, I can't see it getting any further, he says. He also tells the camera that he has made a huge effort to make sure that Morag was comfortable during his homestay, and he hopes that she will do the same. <laughs> no spoilers, but um, she doesn't. Morag's glamorous gang, including her mother, are all there. When the girls want to know everything, Morag starts off with the honeymoon, saying it was rocky, before Luke takes over and decides to control the narrative. We weren't each other's type, you know, typical type. He does an impression of a big, loud Essex muscle man to show Morag's normal type and the girls laugh in recognition. Obviously, what we were looking for before has never worked for us, he says. Luke continues to speak about how much they've grown and learned and how they've never had an argument. Morag laughs. We've had discussions, he clarifies. Luke tells the camera that he hopes Morag friends and family will assure the couple that they are on the right path. Alas, Luke is going to learn that Romford is not the place for reassurance. The action flips across the Irish Sea to County Antrim, thus resolving the mystery of whereabouts in Northern Ireland Dan is actually from. Within five seconds, it is very clear why Dan isn't eager to move. Antrim is breathtakingly beautiful. Sparkling sea, verdant landscape, ancient ruins. The place is exquisite. Could you see yourself living here? Dan asks Matt on the drive there. I'm Mormon to it, he says. The pair sit on a bench and then dramatic music starts to play. Uh-oh. The co-op begins to discuss if Matt could handle living in such an isolated place. Matt says that he can see how important the place is for Daniel and how enveloped in it all he seems. I'm just looking for the right man to come back and share it with, says Dan, who's full of the charm now he's with inside of the ocean. He tells Dan that he's nervous and apprehensive about everything. Matt tells the camera that he worries the living situation is going to cause issues. No shit, mate. Meanwhile, in Llewellyn City, which is apparently in Hertfordshire, Adam is waging a charm war on Taya's cat and mother. We see a flashback clip of Taya's mother saying she's horrified. The narrator reminds us that the couple have settled on moving to Doncaster post-experiment and Taya must tell her mother. Mother T grills them in the outside seating area. She begins with a stern, sceptical expression, but as the conversation progresses, she softens. Taya and Adam's love is undeniable. They sit next to each other, not touching, but his arm is draped around the back of the couch and his body is leaned into her. Taya's legs are crossed and her body is angled towards him. They keep looking at each other before they answer. Taya tells her mother that that the couple are in love. You don't really know each other, says Taya's ma'am. But we do because it's been so intense, says Taya. I've never felt like this before about anyone, says Adam. Taya tells the camera that her mother is a tough nut to crack and she expected some intensive questioning. Her father has obviously decided to stay off camera. She tells her mother that she's moving to Doncaster. The mother raises her eyebrows in an archly amused display. She tells him that she feels it's important that they both have some time apart to reflect on this decision. For me, I've never felt 100% myself around another woman. We've just had such an amazing time together, Adam tells Taya's ma'am, while gazing adoringly into Taya's eyes. Oh, that's nice, says mother, smiling. See? All the emotional honesty that the couples have been encouraged to foster during their time in the experiment has led to them being able to bring the listener up to speed pretty quickly. Like they lay out their shortcomings and newly acquired knowledge about themselves and suddenly people like Mama Taya feel like they're completely appraised of the situation. Because at the end of the day, that is all anyone wants, to know the inside scoop. By the end of the conversation, she tells them that in spite of her serious reservations earlier on, Taya's mother now feels a lot more comfortable about the whole thing. That's the power of love. Down the boozer in Romford, Luke is telling Morag's mother Cheryl about the couple's various travails. He says he's struggling because Morag has nothing positive to say. Jeez, it's lucky that he's out of earshot of Morag right now because she is spilling it truthful to her mates. I know how great he is. He's a gentleman. He's so patient with me. He wants to take care of me. He's everything a girl should want, she says, waving her hands around as if to say, but. Is the spark there, demands Morag's alpha mate, slapping the table between each word for emphasis. Morag, for once, is quiet. The mate asks if they've had sex. Yes, we have had sex, and in the moment it's incredible, she says. However, you guys know my drive. She's insatiable, says a mate. It's not there she says. Over at the bar, Ma Cheryl cautions Luke to think about his needs also, and tells him that Morag is frightened of commitment. Honestly, girls, Morag tells her girls. I've tried, and I'm trying. I want to want him. I want to fancy him. I now need to get to a point where I'm like, is this going to work? Morag's mate asks if Luke has said those three vital words. Morag tells him that he has, and it made her freak out. She says that after he professed his love in front of the whole dinner party, she wanted to run for the hills. Meanwhile, Cheryl tells Luke that she he's the son-in-law that she'd like for Morag, and he is happy to receive a compliment finally. She encourages him to stay with it, if you can. Morag tells the table that she can hear herself saying all of these things, and is now wondering why she's trying to ruin things for herself. She solicits their advice on how to proceed. One mate says, stick it out. Another says that she likes Luke, but if Morag doesn't fancy him, what more can be done? Alpha friend pulls no punches. I'm really sorry to be so brutal about it, but he's lovely. He's handsome, but he's not you. He's not the guy you'd typically look for and go for. Firstly in looks, secondly in character. I just don't know if it's going to work. Tell us how you really feel, friend number one. Morag says that she needs to have a conversation with herself. We head up north to Suffolk, where Frankie and Mar are heading out for some grub with Frankie's mother. Frankie's mother is full of the chat, talking about her boy and asking how the couple have fared this far. We see a flashback of the "Don't speak to me, don't speak when I'm speaking" comment at the dinner party. They confess to a few hiccups, and Frankie's mum assures them that hiccups just mean you care. Can my Frankie be a bit cranky? Mar asks, stroking his face. He won't be walked over, which I'm glad to see says Ma. The mother won't acknowledge any fault in Frankie. He's not cranky. He just won't be walked over. He's not guarded. He just protects himself. Mar mentions that Frankie is fine expressing his feelings to Mar in private, but doesn't do it around other people. I'm afraid I'm going to have to call bullshit on this, actually, because it's clearly untrue. As we saw at the BBQ, Frankie, Frankie is perfectly willing to express his feelings around the boys. Like he told them that he loved Mar. So we know he can be honest in front of men, or Marilise alone, just not when there are other women present. Like, that's worrying, viewer friends. I'm no psychiatrist, but I'm sure it speaks to his inner feelings on women. Mar, having met Frankie's mother, has decided that this puts all of the bad behaviour in an acceptable context. Frankie is just a strong character, like his mother, and so all of her wariness, based on their past arguments, just dissipates. Oh, Mar. Frankie tells his mother that he might be moving home, and her face is the picture of happiness. Unsuitability of their relationship notwithstanding, it's a very sweet scene. Then she asks, Is it possible that I might get a grandchild from my son? And they both laugh. It's early days, says Mar. Mar tells the camera that she's a little freaked out because she knows that in his heart, Frankie wants children. Back across the sea, Matt and Dan arrive for dinner with Dan's parents. I wonder if Matt has consciously acknowledged the fact that he and Dan's father look a little bit alike. Straight off, Dan's dad asks if Matt was surprised by the couple's age gap. He says he was a bit, but after getting to know Dan, he realised that age is just a number. Dan tells him that the couple are in love. They are mildly surprised. Hats off to you guys, Matt says. He is the most amazing person I've ever met. That's very, very romantic, says Dan's dad. Matt starts talking about children and how the couple planned to have some. When, asks dad's, Dan's mother, Carol. We're being realistic, says Dan. Within the next five to ten years. Do you not mind that you'd be older then, asks Carol. I mean, I know you'd both be older, but you'll be more older, she says, making everyone laugh. I think it's a good time, forty-four or forty-five, says Matt. So you're saying five to ten years, but you're reckoning on five years, she says. Matt says that he wants it to be sooner rather than in ten years when he's, you know, 50 and thus really old. That's not really old, laughs Carol, whose next birthday might actually be 50. No offence, I just want to be able to enjoy being a dad with young kids, he clarifies. Uh, When asked where they live, Dan says that long term, he'd like to come back to Antrim. And Matt says that he's open to that. "'What about your parents?' asks Carol. "'Upset is the wrong word,' says Matt. "'But they'd be sad.' Back in Romford, Morag tells the camera that she's not sure Luke is ticking her boxes, in spite of his innumerable positive qualities. Luke and Cheryl return to the bar, from the bar to a very frosty table. Luke takes a look around and says, "'Go on, grill me.' "'How do you feel about Moo?' Genuinely, she's one of the best people I've ever met. I see through all the bravado to the real Morag, he says. I think you're amazing, but she's an alpha, says Morag's boss level mate, who happens to have a hand tat reading queen. Alphas need someone else who's going to calm them down. The friend gets to her feet for emphasis, or possibly because they've been filming for such a long time that she's had too many webs. She wants someone who's going to keep her on her toes. This woman is basically saying, "'Morag needs needs the same type of bloke that she's always had "'because that's how it's always been. "'Fuck breaking old patterns. "'We're a crowd that likes meatheads "'and so you can take your sensitivity and patience "'and fuck off back to Wales.' "'That is complete bullshit,' says Luke. "'I'm really easygoing, "'but there will be a point where she tries to push me over the edge.' "'And that will be too much for you,' says the alpha antagonist. "'No, it won't be too much. "'I won't put up with it,' he says.' Standing again, and this time punching her fist into her palm, Morag's mate says, She wants you to fight back, punch, fight back, punch, fight back, punch. Luke has lost patience. How do you know this, though? He asks testily. Because we're the same, the friend says, with a new note of sympathy in her voice. You don't know me, says Luke. Mark it off your reality TV show bingo card. But she knows me. "'Responds Morag. "'Outside, Luke tells the camera that he's angry "'and feeling like a complete mug. "'I've had Morag's back the entire time in this process "'and I don't care about her friend's opinions "'or what anyone thinks of me, "'but Morag did not have my back tonight. "'Back at the table, we see Luke telling the antagonistic friend "'that he knows he's not Morag's usual type, "'but he also knows that he is what she needs. "'You're just spoiled,' says Cheryl. "'Morag seems taken aback. "'I'm not spoiled.' ''I get that you want me to end up with Mr. Nice Guy,'' she tells Cheryl, ''but my friends know me.'' ''Yeah, but I know your past boyfriends have been shit to you. They've been good-looking, muscly, everything, and they've treated you like shit. So don't tell me where I'm coming from,'' says Cheryl, who is over Morag's bullshit right now. Morag insists on reasserting that her friends know more of what she wants than her mother does. A heartbroken and humiliated Luke tells the camera that he wants to go home, where people love him and like him for who he is. I'm done, he says. There's an ad break, and when we return, we hear that the homestays are over, and there's a juicy 10 minutes or so left of the show, more than enough time for a bit of partner swapping. We hear that Luke has spent the night away from Morag following the raucousness of Romford. He books a Skype session with expert Paul for some advice. He should have rang mail because Paul's advice is a little bit hit and miss. Paul tells Luke why he and Morag were matched. We realised that she needed someone that would bring out the best in her, and everything she's asked for, she's received in you. But she's received it in a different package than she thought, says Paul, or wanted, says Luke. Paul continues saying that Luke is the man for more that Morag needs, and that he should continue to show her that he'll fight for the relationship. Paul, like, can we just talk about what Luke needs for a second? Why was he matched with someone? Who says they don't want children. Like, was it the case that Luke was such a perfect match for Morag that the experts matched them even though she wasn't necessarily the perfect match for him? Luke tells the camera that he thought, that the thought of him and Morag not working out really sucks. He returns to their apartment and the couple sit down for a serious chat. Luke says he was hurt that she didn't defend him at the pub and that she didn't welcome him to her world the way he welcomed her to his. She counters that she wasn't not not defending him. She was just listening to all of the valid points. After that conversation at the table, you were more interested in everything else going on around you apart from me. I felt insulted, Luke says. He complains that she didn't give him any reassurance. She counters by telling him that when she has a problem, she airs it immediately. She doesn't sit on it like a bird trying to hatch a grievance egg. She tells him that she would have preferred for the issue to have been raised, fought about and resolved before bed, instead of her having to overthink things by herself all night. Both apologise to each other and lament that the argument happened at all. No mention of the very significant substance of the argument, but perhaps that's a conversation best left till later. Soon letters arrive under the door, informing the couples that today they'll be swapping partners. The narrator reminds us that this is a great opportunity for the couples to voice any concerns they may have to a neutral party. Taya is paired with Josh, Adam with Dan, Matt with Mar, Frankie with Morag, and Luke with Amy. Amy shows up with an arm full of food and tells Luke that she's going to cook him a fry-up. Aww. She obviously empathises with Luke, so it's a nice gesture. Taya and Josh stick to wine. Taya asks him all about his relationship with Amy. He tells her that he sees potential for a further relationship, but her her temperamental ways are taxing. Are there things that set her off? she asks. It might not have been anything I've done, but something could trigger her and that will affect her mood. That's the worst position to be in, says Taya. He tells her all about the fiesta of hostility during the homestay. I think that Josh is just grinning and bearing the mood swings and I don't think that's a very healthy environment. Hey, tells the camera. Over their fry-ups, Amy tells Luke that she was such a bitch during the homestay because she's scared the relationship isn't going to work and so she's pushing Josh away first. Luke's advice is not to put pressure on the relationship because Josh is clearly trying. Amy seems like a new woman after a bit of fried egg and some positive reassurance from Luke. Morag and Frankie are having a very awkward cuppa in Frankie and Mara's place. Morag recounts the tale of the homestay while Frankie nods politely, interjecting with hmm and oof in the appropriate places. You guys have had to work harder than any of us. I'm very proud of you for that, he says. Meanwhile, Mara's giving Matt some sage parenting advice over cocktails. You need to enjoy this time together. Having kids, you'll never regret it, but just do it at the right time. She tells Matt that she reckons Frankie wants kids more than he's letting on, but she's not so sure. Elsewhere, Adam and Daniel are eating popcorn in bed, discussing children. When's a realistic time frame for you, do you think? Asks Stan. Within the next year, says Adam. Bloody hell. He says that the only thing missing in his life was a missus. And now that he's got one, he's ready to start the next chapter. I feel blessed, he says. Back in Frankie's. Morag has convinced Yorkshire man, military man, Hugh man, Frankie, to put on a moisture bomb face mask. I'm a married man, he says at first which I expected to get more of a laugh from Morag. She asks what his plans after the experiment are. He tells her that there will be big moves on his side. I never knew I'd meet a Yorkshire lass that's such an elegant princess, but the more I'm with her, the more it feels bloody right. Post-fry, Amy confides in Luke that she doesn't want to tell Josh she loves him, even though she does, until she's sure he feels the same way. For his part, Luke tells Amy that he, he is that he massively regrets the love thing. Not because I don't feel it, but because it's overwhelmed her completely, he says. Amy tells him that this is an eye-opener, and that it's cemented the idea that she's doing the right thing by not letting on to Josh. Over with Josh and Taya, Josh tells her that it takes him longer to fall in love, which prompts Taya to say that it looks like Amy is a bit more invested than he is. She tells him that if he feels in his heart that it won't work, he should cut ties. His face doesn't give much away, I can get why it must be hard dating him, because his face is frustratingly impassive. I think at the end of the day, they're not each other's people, Taya tells the camera. Josh and Amy are not a match, no. And that is that for another episode of MAPS UK. We see a clip of Monday's episode and learn that it's the last dates before the final vows. There's some horseback riding, more picnics, and more than likely a whole heap of drama. See you then viewer friends let me hear your thoughts get in touch with us on twitter at adventures 2 tv too or you can email me on adventures in tv tv spelled t-e-e-v-e-e at gmail.com and you can find us in all the other places instagram facebook and everything at be Rewind. see you then viewer friends